Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Okay, so before we talk about it, I need to tell you I've just got off a Peloton. That's why I'm still in my sweatpants and my um, my gym gear. So are you I okay? Could, well, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I could pass out at any moment. Uh, uh, so... If that happens, I mean, it's going to take this podcast to number one. (laughs) It'll be the number one podcast in the whole world if that happens. (laughs) Uh, Just this episode. Um, The Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminist Watchers and Just Like That, the Sex and the City Reheal. With me, Deborah Francis White, and my very special guest, Natalie Behensky. Episode 6, Diwali. So, Nat. Hello. You are very well known in Australia for your incredible recaps, engagement, analysis of Game of Thrones. You had a podcast, you had a column, you had a, you were on TV talking about Game of Thrones because it was such a phenomenon. And then mm. Game of Thrones just like selfishly went away, selfishly. ruining so mm. much of your excellent work. Yes, um, and I didn't really have a good second uh, plan in place when it stopped. No, you do so many brilliant <laughs> things. You're also a brilliant performer, producer, writer, all of those things, and podcaster. Oh, thank you. Um, But the reason I'm focusing on your Game of Thrones work is because you are kind of, I'm sort of intimidated to be in your presence here because talking about a TV show and making it entertaining and deconstructing it in such an intelligent, engaging way was your thing. You've become so successful doing that. Can I ask, what's your history with Sex and the City? Deb, it is... um... I've been listening to your some of your previous podcasts and I'm trying to work out how to answer this in a way that doesn't sound too trite or too over the top, but it, it's an incredibly important show to me and remains and I often find myself getting on my high horse when I feel it's a very popular um, whipping boy maybe. I know there's so many things about obviously the portrayal of sex and relationships, but for me it was the friendships of that show that's mm. so formative to me and so aspirational. And I know that a lot of people wanted the shoes or the lifestyle. And look, there was a certain amount of desire. I I began my career as a journalist. So, you know, the idea that Carrie was living life as a writer in New York. You're a Carrie, that's clear. (laughs) You're definitely not a Charlotte. I, I don't, I, I feel like in maybe in this series in, and just like that, maybe I'm a bit more of a Charlotte in terms of the whole, the world is moving really fast and I don't know what's happening now. I, I feel like I share that a bit with Charlotte. But in but, terms no, of from, aspirations for like marriage and babies and, you know, that's, that's 
you know, like, let's make this look like the picture book. That's never been your... Oh, no, no, that that has never been. <laughs> I'm a complete disappointment on that front. But uh, no, the not idea disappointment. Of- like, you know, like, that's sort of the other three are like, oh, we don't know if we want all that. So I think you're a carry. Am I right? I guess I would be closest to carry in the sense of, uh, you know, big curly thick hair. Uh, certainly can't walk in heels at all. Um, very clumsy, so couldn't ever do the heel thing. But, you know, maybe in terms of um, – I also don't have a story dating history, like any of them. That's what I sort of don't share. But for me, as I said, it was the friendships, the fact that there were four women who could talk to each other about anything. To me, that was so revelatory and quite shocking because – I always found it difficult to make um, female friends. I was one of those girls at school who was a bit like, well, you know, I just get on better with the guys. And, of course, now I look back and want to slap myself. But I really found it difficult to, weirdly enough, not be envious of of other women. I I never seemed to be envious of men, but other women – always made me feel envious. Like they're prettier than me. They're smarter than me. They've got better jobs. They've got more money. They've got, um, you know, better performer, better skills. And men never factored in that. So the concept of having women who I just loved and wanted to hang out with and didn't, you know, feel jealous of like these women did, to me that was a great comfort that one day I might achieve that. Mm. Well, I think the world (laughs) teaches women to be pitted against each other. I think if, if you've got those instincts bubbling up inside of you and some of our listeners may feel a sort of a recognition of that, it, I think it's because we're taught you're competing with the other women. You're not competing with men because you're not going to get any of their slots. There's going to be one spot on this bill for a woman and mm. maybe that's where that impetus is coming from. Mm. Um, you've certainly been a great friend to me, so I don't recognise this uh, feeling. I think we've had so many deep and meaningful conversations when I've come to Australia, especially if you've, we often go on a road trip together and we've had so many deep and meaningful conversations about relationships and career and all the things that they talk about on Sex of the City. So I feel like we have achieved that. Well, I do too. And that's what I would say is like my friendship with you was one of the first friendships because we've been friends for I don't know. I don't That's want to not, say no how many to, years, but no it's, need to yeah, no need to. But, but you know, no, um, no, not at all. Um, but it's it's one of those things that I think being friends with you and and some of my other friends that I've become, it, you know, has really taught me how that is possible and achievable. And I'm so grateful now that I kind of have a great pack of female friends who I feel I can be a little bit more intimate with. But because I'm mm. a bit prudish, <laughs> that's where I sort of align with Charlotte. I'm a little bit sort of prudish. That's, ah, that's, that's the you know, it's Charlotte always, in you. Yeah, that's why I always find it very difficult. So I think one of the things I loved about the show as well is that they were so open and they were so funny. And as someone who was drawn to comedy, just the snapping dialogue, the fact that these were women being funny, saying funny things and laughing at each other and they were the stars, they weren't just there supporting and laughing at a man, um, that delighted me and still does. So let's talk about this episode. Um, Now, you're the Mm. recap queen. Do you want to recap or do you want me to recap? I'll I'll try and do a very brief summary. Great. So Carrie is making the decision to move to a new apartment to start over and she kind of signs to just sign to do something, which I think that's a feeling that sometimes we we all do. You'd kind of make a decision just to make a decision. Uh, Miranda is dealing with the fallout of her um, surprise intimate situation uh, from the previous episode. Now, come on Uh, now. Let's not be prudish. Don't be Charlotte about it. Surprise intimate situation. She's got off with Shay, who is Carrie's boss, and she's now thinking about them. 
like having these little flashbacks to the sex. A lot. Them. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about the, the weird way they do those flashbacks. But I found that very strange. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so um, Charlotte is dealing with the uh, fact that Rose, her daughter, is now Rock, her non-binary child by all in- um, intents and purposes. And um, I was about to say, and Samantha, and then, no, there's no Samantha. Um, we see Miranda's... Lecturer, Professor Wallace, dealing with her ongoing IVF issues. And we see the celebration of Diwali, which, of course, for Seema, Carrie's real estate agent, is a family tradition which gets to show how she is, you know, not following her family's plans for her life. Great. That was a rough summary than what I would have done. I'm loving that. You can come (laughs) on every week and do that because it's so sad. (laughs) So let's get down to it. So the opening scene carries in the most beautiful um, but very modern apartment that really more than windows, it has kind of glass walls out onto the Hudson. And she's really not sure it's her. And it doesn't look like her. It's just this no. big open white space with glass, you know, coming through. I mean, we'd all love to be walking around an apartment like that going, oh, I could just Ugh. buy it because I've got the cash. But is it really me? Um but she, I loved that opening scene because there were some funny lines with Anthony and it really brought mm. some of the comedy back to me. He started talking about hooking up and uh, yes. being very graphic. Out with the mould, in yes, with the new. in the yeah. new. And he talked Puns. about uh, his own sex life and how he was really um, yes. getting Someone out called him daddy. She was like, oh, come on. Uh, like, stop telling me this stuff. And he's like, no, I'm going to talk about it. Buckle up, princess, he says. And it really yes. reminded me of the old sex in the city. So I loved that. Um, it's interesting the way he's had to kind of come in and be Anthony and Stanford as well. He's had to be Anthony and Because yeah. he, or Stanthony, he's had Stanthony. to be Stanthony. Oh. Because he never hung out with Carrie. He was Charlotte's best friend. Mm. So, or, you know, best gay friend, I suppose. Uh, and, and he and Stanford were traditionally through the series enemies until mm. they hooked up at the end of the first movie, I think, and then they got married in the second. And, right. But I guess that I guess the um, sad passing of Willie Garson meant that they had to change things out because I could, uh, you know, maybe they had to write on the go and rewrite. And as you were saying, I think in your last podcast about how Stanford sort of left with a hurried note, that really doesn't sound like something they would do had Willie Garson you know, not been very, very sick. Well, do you know what? I listened to the And Just Like That Writer's Room podcast. And oh. because uh, one of our lovely listeners wrote in and said, you might want to listen to it because I know you were upset that he broke up with her on a post-it, which was my analysis of <laughs> what Willie Garson's character Stanford did. And I was like, he would never do that. No, um, and that's my they- favourite episode too of Sex and the City. Oh, the um, Scissors Paper Rock. The post-it always rings twice, I think. Yes, that's right. I think um, that's the name of it. And she puts the post-it note over the engagement ring and says, paper covers rock. Paper covers um, rock. Great line. The So I said that and one of our listeners reached out and said, you might want to listen to this. And it was the Writer's Room podcast where they said they had written this really beautiful scene when they realised that Willie was not going to be able to go on. And it was a goodbye between him and Carrie where – he was saying, look, my career hasn't panned out the way I wanted it to and my marriage isn't working out. I think I need to go to Tokyo and take a chance. And she said to him, go, Stanny, go and see the geishas for me. I'm not sure that's the most culturally sensitive way of saying have a nice time in Japan. But anyway, 
it sounded like this really heartbreaking scene, which would have been so hard for Sarah Jessica to do because that's her years-long friend. Mm. And she was would be really saying goodbye to him. And he phoned up and said, I'm so sorry. I'm just not well enough. I just physically can't do it. And I would love to do this. And so he said, we did something that would allow Carrie to skate over it. As she said, it's one of the only times I didn't want to go all in. So Mm. uh, I thought, well, okay, like I'm, you know, it's all very well for me to go, why didn't they do this? But I'm not there. I haven't had those relationships over those years. And that's, of course, that's, and that's what I mean. Like you could see them having to adjust Mm. and work out how do we go from here and be sensitive to the actors as well as the characters. Yes, absolutely. But I love that Anthony's getting more airtime mm. now. He um, was always a favourite of mine because he was so definitely. direct is one way of putting it, blunt. <laughs> and not and and he was kind of a male Samantha in many ways. He just said what he wanted to say. And he does that in this episode, I think, on a couple of occasions. He absolutely does. So I really enjoyed the comedy of that scene. We see Miranda having these flashbacks to the time that she hooked up with Shay in Carrie's flat. Now, you said you found those shot oddly. Could you expand on that? Well, they had done the deed, as it were, in Carrie's very nice, but I guess quite plain kitchen. So when it came time for her to fantasize about them, it was like they reenacted those moments and those, you know, the breath of smoke, the kissing, the words like, can I touch you? Uh, And they did it in like a white room on a white, in a white background. So it kind of looked like I don't know, I remember seeing, I think, French and Saunders sketches from the 90s that were sort of they'd do in a white room. Or it's like that bit in Harry Potter where Harry, like, dies and he's killed by Voldemort and then he finds himself in, like, a white room. Right. Am I you felt that, that white room was, like, this otherworldly soundstage yes, they, or something like that. Yeah. And so I... I sort of thought that to keep in, because they've been going for a more, and this is a weird thing to say when it comes to Sex in the City or and just like that, I, I should say, but a more realistic tone. Um, I said that in air quotes. But all of a sudden they had these sort of like rock and roll music video clip, white room style, oh, remember? And I guess, look, I'm, I'm not in Miranda's head. Maybe that's how she pictures um, her sexual exploits. It. The reason I quite liked it it's because I don't really want to be back in Carrie's kitchen where I knew Carrie was peeing into a Snapple bottle. So That's I a think really good point. The reason yeah, they she's lifted removed it out, it. Yeah, yeah, I think she's had to because she didn't want to remember the surroundings because they yes. caused trouble because then she had a huge fight with Carrie about it and it yes. turned into sadness. So I think she's makes lifted a lot of it out and elevated onto a white soundstage to kind of go, let's <laughs> pretend it wasn't in my friend's <laughs> kitchen while she was peeing into a bottle and I watching wonder- me. Yeah, and I wonder why she didn't kind of maybe situate it in the bar after the comedy show when she kind of first did that whole shotgunning thing, which I've never heard before. The slightly grungy surrounds maybe, a bit more sexy bar. Oh, I see. You want it to be dark, a dark room rather yeah, than a white room. Yeah, bit, a bit more, bit more sort of like, hey, this is dangerous and mm. exciting and new as opposed to Hollywood. <laughs> like, I don't know. Oh, there was I something, see. It felt there was a something, bit... Beauty school dropout. Staged. Yes, beauty school dropout. Thank you. I see. That's I what see. I was thinking of. I absolutely see. Because I thought it was a bit unexpected. So I quite enjoyed it. I found the whole, well, we discussed this last week that Carrie, um, I heard, Rohan yes. And I discussed that for us, we had been waiting for this exciting electric sexy moment. 
<laughs> which we were ready to be, I mean, you know. Sizzled by. Yeah, turned on by and like, oh, this is exciting. And we found we could not really enjoy it because we kept cutting to Carrie being annoyed and peeing, literally peeing into a bottle, which again, some people's kink. Remember she dated John Slattery's yeah. politician and he- The politician, much, yeah. He wanted her. He, he would have loved yeah. to have been it. I was just very admiring of Carrie's ability to aim because I don't, it just made me think about if I was in that situation, I don't know that like a, I know a Snapple bottle top is is wider than say your, your Coke bottle kind of thing. But I mean, it's still a very small area to Well, she did aim. get it all over the sheet. So I think it wasn't as successful as all that. It was, a, oh, it was the best she okay. could do. I thought that was she, because she got she, bumped and she spilled it. Oh, oh, was that it? Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll have I've, to re watch that. Or not. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> to be um, fair. <laughs> what did you think of the picnic in the park where they were sitting at the table and they had this discussion where Miranda shared with Charlotte that this had happened and she found Charlotte judgy and then tried to storm off, but her leg had gone to sleep, which I think again is another evocation of age. It's like, well, when they were young, they were always storming off. But now, mm. actually, she kind of can't get up. I feel like they're playing <laughs> that card a lot that, I mean, it, they're so old. And I'm like, guys, they're in their 50s. They're not 85. Like, I'm like, really, it's an people interesting... can stand and walk in, in their 50s. I guess there's a kind of comedy moment there of trying to storm off with a dead leg. I kind of do yes. get that. But I also feel like I wonder if that is an aged comment. I wonder if it was a simple logistical thing because I don't know if you noticed that Carrie was still in heels. She was in that gorgeous um, red suit, but she was still wearing heels for a picnic in the park because she's Carrie Bradshaw. Sure. Uh, I just think maybe if she tried to run after Miranda, her heels, the spikes would have sunk into the grass. And, oh. you know, you trip up if that if that happens. That's so why they, I don't wear heels. They needed because... to give Miranda a slowdown. I see. <laughs> that's I right. See. Miranda's check costume there that she had a check top, check skirt. It was like a matched. clashing. Yeah. And clashing. Matched. Then then it clashed with the check tablecloth, the picnic tablecloth. Mm. And it evoked for me the dirndl, which is famously the most controversial costume in the history of Sex and the City. They went for a picnic in the park. When they're yes. 30s, they all sat on the grass on a picnic rug because in those days they could get down and up. Uh, now they can barely walk away from a table. But that uh, those checks evoked that country cottage dirndl to me uh, where Carrie had – she was just like Heidi. Is that the one where Miranda's wearing a hat over her hoodie? Yes, and Carrie's in pigtails. And it's yes. all a little bit, and everyone's like, too far, too far. I remember that. Everyone was like, too far, too far, too far. And they were, all right, okay, we'll pull back. Note taken. I think there's something interesting about the check because um, I've just, I'm, I've got the screen on my iPad and I just am moving forward with my mouse and cursor to kind of go to the scenes that we're talking about. The If you look at the check, it's actually a blurry check. It's not a defined check because generally I think on TV they don't like defined checks. But there's something about the blurriness. Miranda has always been generally a very clear-cut, clear-minded, knows-what-she-wants decisive character. And this whole season I think has been about her. She's left her job as a corporate lawyer. She's trying to get a degree in human rights or a master's in human rights. She's a bit ambivalent about her marriage. She's finding her teenage son hard to deal with. So maybe there's something about this, not only a clashing of checks, but this sort of distorting of what were once clear lines into blurry patterns. That's very interesting. 
I joined an Instagram live last night with the official costume designers of Just Like That, Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago. And I asked a question and said, are there hidden clues in the costumes? So if Carrie's pulling an old dress out of the wardrobe from Mm. an old show or wearing a belt or a bag from one of our classic episodes, are we meant to read anything into that? And they said, no, there are no hidden clues. We don't have time for that. They said, (laughs) Sarah Jessica Parker has this archive of all the costumes from Sex and the City and we've been allowed to go into the archive and we feel it's a great privilege and we've pulled things from the archive that we just liked or thought she might still wear and then we're pulling stuff together all the time designers send stuff in like they said that fabulous Masoni dress that she wore at the Mm. end of Tragically Hip where she managed to get back into heels again after three months of physio and she's standing there in this iconic Masoni dress and even people who don't know a lot about fashion only know a little bit about fashion know that's Masoni because of the stripes so mm. sparkly stripes and she was wearing these Christian Labatan heels and they said that's actually a cardigan and they sent us that and said we've designed this as a bespoke piece just for Carrie and they just of their own back just sent it in and it was a cardigan with um like Pat, like palazzo pants or like pajama pants. So it was a two piece. And they said we couldn't really find anywhere for it. And then we thought, what if we do a split up the side and wear the cardigan like a dress? And we just, it, the sparkle on it was just fantastic. Um, wow. Molly said, I wanted her to have a cigarette and a cocktail as she was getting ready to go out. She said, I think everyone does that. She said, we all do that. We all have a cigarette and a cocktail. We're getting ready to go out. I was like, (laughs) Molly, you live in a more glamorous world than most people. Let's be incredibly honest. (laughs) Also, who still smokes? Hardly anyone still smokes. And if people smoke, they don't smoke inside. And if they do smoke inside, they don't smoke in their wardrobe, in their closet. Come on. Mm. Um, But in Molly's world, Molly is of a different generation. And in her world, everyone going out ever gets dressed with a cocktail and a cigarette. So she said, I wanted that. No one else bought into that. No one else backed me up on that. So she was just there in her beautiful Masoni cardigan, which we split up the side to make into a dress and some Labatans that she'd worn in a previous episode with a white dress. So here I am, listeners, every week I'm looking for hidden <laughs> hidden things. And you know that I love to see Easter eggs from old episodes, which I, I I don't believe that I can see those links and the writers can't. And when I listened to the Writers' Room podcast, they did say the newer writers that they've brought on have this encyclopedic knowledge of Sex and the City and tend to be super fans. And they say to Michael Patrick King and the other, you know, older writers from the original show, oh, mm. well, there was that line of dialogue. And they were like, we can't remember it. Because they don't yeah. sit around watching their own show. <laughs> they were like, they know everything and they tell us, oh, but yes. that's like this and that's like this. So I believe someone in the writer's room knows, even if Michael Patrick King doesn't know. Um, that's right, yeah. Uh, but hidden clues in the costumes, because I was like, well, clearly she's looking at that dress and that evokes that moment. No, that's not true. I was putting my own spin on that fashion choice. I, no, I, and I love it, Nat, <laughs> and I love it. And that may be true. Maybe they're like, "What? how is she feeling and what should she be wearing? But the impression that I got was we have to work very fast. We've got a bunch of things from different designers and a bunch of costumes and a bunch of old things, vintage things, new things, 
we you, and they said you can't make anyone wear anything either. They said like people don't want to wear stuff, and then we can't make them. And, oh wow! I yeah. suppose yeah. I suppose they're if Cynthia Nixon says I don't want to wear this weird clashing check pattern thing, what are you going to do? Go okay. Well, yeah. did you read the um, Pandora Sykes article about that? I did not. So the original Sex and the City costume designer was a very Patricia famous. Field. Yes, a very famous uh, designer called Patricia Field. Although it does say online that Danny Santiago also styled for some of the original Sex and the City. But Patricia Field was doing Emily in Paris and didn't have time to do mm. it. So didn't come back. But she just gave this interview to Pandora Sykes of the Times. And she said, oh, yeah, I know what they're going through. She said, Sarah Jessica Parker thinks she knows everything and does know everything about fashion. (laughs) Cynthia Nixon thinks she knows everything and doesn't. And it's a real (laughs) struggle. And I was like, oh, my God. That was so – she said, so I know what they're going through. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I wonder if she got a text from Cynthia Nixon going, oh, (laughs) Do you know, can you just not say that to the papers? Uh, but Spill we the loved tea. that bit of like you know their tension there. But I'm sure on every show like that there must be much like I'm not going to feel comfortable now. I don't think my character would wear that. And it's just if it's true though, if she has to sail down the street feeling like a million dollars and like this big corporate lawyer or whatever it is, and and she's not feeling it in that outfit, I absolutely get as an actor why you'd go. Can I try something more like this? It's just interesting that there's. Um, I guess I come from the world of theatre where you're sort of like, um, wear this. And you're like, okay, then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. The idea like, of the luxury of being able to import and, you know. No, oh, we've all spent the budget in theatre. It's like, this yeah. is what you're wearing. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm sure if you're a big star, you do get that. But authorial intent isn't everything, Nat. You know? That's true. What the author thinks is there and what is actually there for the viewer, they're two separate things. And, like, we can see things in Shakespeare that Shakespeare clearly didn't write because the times have changed. So what we bring to Shakespeare is as important as what Shakespeare brings to us. And, of course, when I think of Shakespeare, I also think of, and just like that, modern Shakespeare. <laughs> I was about to say, there, there it is. You've so, got so yeah, As You Like It and and Just Like That. And Diwali. Um, so your reading of the blurry checks it's not a very clear line chess book from around anymore, I think is absolutely right. And I love what you bring as a viewer. And who knows, Miranda, maybe, maybe Cynthia Nixon did say, oh, I'm feeling like she's a little mixed up. So we'd love, I'd love to see that in the costume. Well, she directed this episode too. So <gasps> yes, maybe she so had she a bit more input. Made decisions. <gasps> so great. Right yeah. That's a great uh, point. It was, and so she must have been responsible for something to do with the leg being asleep, I assume. I don't know. <laughs> Certainly how it was shot. How to stage that. I thought it was a lovely moment, though, of, you know, Miranda having those strong emotions and not knowing how to deal with them and Charlotte having strong emotions. And, you know, Charlotte's um, and Miranda have often clashed because Miranda's been so logical and Charlotte's been more emotional. Um, we even saw earlier in the series Carrie not wanting Charlotte to come over to the apartment because Charlotte's so easily emotional. So I thought, and I actually really liked how Charlotte behaved through all this, where she was kind of holding Miranda to account a little bit. And I think she's done that previously when Carrie was having the affair with Big. It was Charlotte who said, how would you feel if if it was me, if, if you've 
you know, someone was having an affair with with my husband. So, you know, Charlotte's quite good at providing, as, as pretty as she is, um, having, I guess, a very clear moral compass. So she was, um, you know, trying to support. And as she then said, she apologised and said, I'm trying to understand, uh, which obviously is her journey this season. Um, so I thought it was a really nice moment that they had that argument. And again, there were some nice fun moments of comedy with Carrie going, oh, if only this was real wine. Yes, <laughs> then out drinking non-alcoholic wine to support Miranda. Um, yes. I actually really enjoyed parts of this scene because this perspective that you get when something seismic happens, when Charlotte says to Carrie, how, why are you pretending this, you know, why are you acting like this isn't something, this is something? And she says, no, big dying was something. And it's mm. like, this is a thing that happens and, you know, Miranda will figure it out. Yes. Which I thought was great. Those moments of clarity, and you do get that after somebody dies. You, if somebody close to you dies for a long time, you have a greater perspective. And she also channels and uses that when Miranda storms off, when she she says, look, I've lost Samantha. I'm not losing another one mm. of the group. And then she says, and she doesn't say I've lost Stamford, but that's hanging there as well. I think it's too sad to say that maybe because we know Willie died. But then she says, people are here they're gone. for a moment, then they're gone. And I think that's talking mm. about both fictional big and real Willie. Garson, mm. and they're here and then they're gone. And I always think, I think life is not short necessarily. People say life is short. It's not, it actually goes on for a bit for most, for most people. It's like, <laughs> could be cut down. Needs an edit. It's, it's, I'm just, <laughs> just saying, some bits of a drag. But <laughs> it's the uh, life, life is the uh, Zack Snyder cut. It's, it's you know, mm. overly long. <laughs> it's Lord of the Rings sometimes. It's like, is this still going on? Um, you think it there's has an a ending. lot no, of endings. No, there's another ending. It's a lot of endings, you know. But life is flammable. It's gone in a set. When it's oh, gone, it just goes. Yeah. It's just like, what happened? Like, how can you be here one minute and not any of us can be gone in a flash? And that's what happened to Big. Now, I've been off the Peloton now for quite some time. So I'm feeling You're more looking relaxed. robust. You're looking healthy. You're looking you. fit. So I think um, it's been a good day for the Peloton. It's been a good Hopefully day for the Peloton. Well done, Peloton. Not Their stock is going back up. Well, <laughs> I imagine they have probably have how many days since a death. Uh, they have your ticker yeah. on their website. Um, now, here's what's interesting about that scene. I think there's something hidden in that scene. There's something promised in that scene. Charlotte says to Miranda, you are not progressive enough for this. And that's what makes Miranda storm off. Mm. Now, the reason I think that's interesting is because we've – it's just been hinted, we vaguely heard, that Shay is polyamorous. Now, what Charlotte is referring to is that Shay's non-binary, they're queer, they're in a very different world from Miranda. But I think the thing that's going to arrest Miranda when she enters into something more akin to a relationship with Shay is that Shay is polyamorous and Miranda's going to start to feel insecure about that. That is my guess and it's going to come back to her, I am not progressive enough for this relationship. It makes sense because everything about Shay, to me, indicates someone who dates who they want, uh, when they want, and is fine with it. Uh, and that's kind of their philosophy going through life. Whereas so we know Miranda, it, 
I mean, Steve had, you know, a one night stand with someone. They hadn't had sex in a long time. He immediately came to her and apologized and said, it didn't mean anything. And I needed to tell you. And she reacted so extremely to that in my mind. Mm. That's where I'm interested in seeing how that develops out with Steve because- Is Steve going to get his own back? Is Steve going to go, oh my God, you gave me so much grief for that. You've tortured me and punished me for so long. And now you've done it. Like, is I don't. That doesn't seem like Steve. I think Steve would probably be really understanding. I think he'll be a bit confused. But if they haven't been having sex, as was indicated in an earlier episode, mm-hmm. For years. then clearly he's can't be totally ignorant of. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe that's what happens in middle age marriages where some people just feel comfortable and happy and don't realize that the other person is not. We will find out. But it's pretty clear that she's going to leave Steve and hook up with Shay. And it will be very interesting to see how they deal, how Miranda deals with being in a relationship with someone who is polyamorous. I think that's going to be, I think that's the promise there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Can we talk about the scene with Jonathan Groff? You'll be mm. back. Uh, King George he in Hamilton, famously. Yes, and in as, Mindhunter. As the plastic surgeon, uh, mm. I know him from looking as well. Anthony begs Carrie to go with him so he doesn't go too far and have too much done. But Stanford had booked in uh, a consultation for joint facelifts, his and his facelifts. Yes. <laughs> Which I don't know so if Stanford York. would so do that. New Stanford's York. never traded on his look. Stanford's always been about the personality and the kind of like, mm. he's always been like, ah, I'm like, you know, quirky looking and, and bald and like not in that, you know, he's not playing in that end of the swimming pool with the kind of very, That's very right. glamorous, ripped gay man. Yeah, and Anthony was always the, yeah, I'm into my looks and what was it he said? I've got, I've got a good hair and a high tight ass. Yes, that's right. I can do a lot better. <laughs> but anyway, Stafford's booked this. Anthony's going. Carrie agrees to go with him. Um, and Carrie is wearing, can I just linger on a point of costumery here? 
the most glorious. I've looked online. I don't know where she got it from. I mean, it's going to be out of my league anyway, but I just wanted to have a look. Wide-legged trouser Mm. suit, burgundy, with underneath there's um, what we call braces and what Americans call suspenders. It's just so divine. It's the great, it's one of the great Sex and the City costumes in my mind. Yeah. And she was wearing it later in the picnic scene as well, uh, which I'm so glad it got a second outing because so often these outfits are in one split second scene and then you don't see them again. Again. Uh, it was gorgeous. And I totally, knowing your fashion sense, it's so up your alley. It the really structure, is. the clean lines, just the, yeah, it's, it's so strong, but also incredibly feminine and graceful if that's a word that could be used to designers see it and are influenced by it and start making accessible versions of it if you are bianca spender and listening to this podcast (laughs) why wouldn't she be yeah australian designer glorious um if you could make something like that for me i mean obviously sell it to other people as well um, <laughs> but it's the shoulder pads as well. It's this lovely oh. and and it's high waisted, long. It reminds me very much of something from the late eighties or early nineties. It's kind of a modern take on that boxy 80s. long jacket. Yeah, 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 yeah. The working girl. Look. But it's so now, like it's so fresh oh. and yet hints it. And the color is so. It's like this rusty burgundy red oh, brown. It's just stunning. Also, the outfit she was wearing in the opening scene as well. Can I just, just while we're on fashion, she was wearing like jodhpurs, yes. satin shirt and jacket and the colours and the textures and the shape. Oh, <laughs> I just wanted to it lick was, her. I know, but it was a little bit uh, Penelope Keith into The Man Born. I don't know why I got that uh, vibe, but I just, you know, a bit, a bit Harris Tweed. It. Totally. Yeah. Really, really preppy, but just an elegant original take on that, a spin on that. Mm. Loved it. So back to the plastic surgery. Yes. Um, that was a really interesting moment where she was shown this is what you could have. And when Jonathan Groff, Dr. Jonathan Groff, showed her on the screen, he basically took the years off her on the screen. Yeah. And then we heard as we landed back on her 35-year-old face, mm. we heard – the final three notes of the original Sex of the City theme tune. And she said, I remember her. Her, yeah. And glorious. I was like, oh, my God, this is the thing about, you know, faces age and they change. And you, at some point, start to look less like yourself. And, of course, you're not looking less like yourself. You're just looking like your new self at a different age. But also I thought if that technology was available where they really could make you look like that again, those actresses would have that. I thought this isn't right because I, I mean, it's not like they've never had these conversations and discussions before. Yeah, of course. The technology is not available because you can see when actresses have had work and none of them look like they did at 35. They don't, you know? And so I was looking at it going, they can't really make you look like that. That's not true. You're going to look odd. You're going to look done. Mm. To me, the photo that they used was the photo from her column back in the original series. Ah. That sort of she's sort of where she's tilting her head forward and looking almost up at the camera. I don't mm. know if it is, but to me, that's the photo that it looked like. They they kind of went back to her column profile pic, if that makes sense. It was a sweet moment, but I I'm really glad that they included that scene and talked about it. And uh, you know, I don't 
it just, it's one of those things as, as I get older, um, which is, is something that's continuing to happen despite all of my best efforts, uh, I, I really judge less and less on any – I don't think I was ever hugely judgy on, on women having work done, but I'm so much less – it, 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 it's such a harsh world for yeah. everyone because of appearances. Well, what does Jonathan Ross say that he says that Mother Nature and Instagram are less kind to women? Mm. I've been doing this thing on my own personal Instagram where I, for the last year or so, I've been trying to up my exercise routine, routine, <laughs> like I'm a dancer, but I'm just trying to exercise more. And every time I would look on Instagram for people exercising, you always get these very manicured pictures of beautiful women in wonderful sunlight and they're in their exercise gear and they just look like active, but clean and fresh. And every time I exercise, I look like I'm about to die, like big on that Peloton. And so I started posting selfies after every workout and I, my skin goes red and blotchy and sweaty and my hair is frizzy. And I, I've been trying to sort of post pictures of myself like that to go, oh, this is what I look like now. My skin looks bad. My hair looks bad. Uh, but this is what I actually look like working out. But I don't think just it's bad. And- it's just like you look like you're energized and you look like you're exercising. And it's a, it's a truthful, <laughs> it's a truthful depiction of that. Uh, look, maybe there are some women out there who are so wonderful they can exercise and just look super fresh, uh, but I don't. And uh, so I just started doing that, I think, to try and accept me more as going, yeah, this is and, what it's going to be it's, like. It's-, it's great for other people too to go, <laughs> oh, it's okay if I go to the gym and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sweating. That's kind of the point of the gym. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think it was good that they discussed, you know, mm. um, cosmetic surgery and those options because it is something that um, – all of them would would have, and I, I just I heard so many people. I've seen people on Facebook after the first episode say things like, "Oh, I couldn't watch. Their faces are so different." I don't know that Sarah Jessica Parker's face is different. I, I wouldn't even have said I, that she would have had the, work done because this is the thing: is people's faces do change as they get older, and if if you're an actress, people go, "Oh, well, you changed it surgically." It's like maybe not. Like no, I don't know that she has had work. Sometimes it's just. People's faces change as they get older. And, and one of the probably the biggest revelatory thing in this episode for me was when Jonathan Groff's doctor says there are two types of people, yes. hollowers and saggers. Mm. I have never heard that before. No, and never that heard was that. like that was like a, a, a light bulb went off over my head because I just went, oh my God, I am a sagger. Mm. Sarah Jessica Parker is a hollower, hollower and I can see it. She has a long face. Yeah. She has a high forehead. She has a very, very like strong chin. Of course she's going to lose when you lose that youthful plumpness. Of course it's going to mean her 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 face gets mm. hollowed out in the, in the chin. And also um, because she carries, I would imagine, very little body fat. There's nothing really to sag. She's, yeah, she's so tiny, it's, yeah. It's all looking hollow. I'm much more likely because I have got, you know, meat on my face it's much more likely to drop you have you know cheekbones like i do have the good bone structure which so far is i think holding up and you do too (laughs) Um, and i liked that the doctor said you know we could do this and it'd be like the last 15 years and never happened and at the end of the episode she says and just like that i realized i I've loved the last 15 years. And and so not only does she decide she doesn't want to live in this big modern flat with lots of things 
beeping that she doesn't understand and she doesn't want to mm. live in this big, light, white, open, sunny space. She wants to live where she's comfortable, which is her old original apartment. And she was thinking, oh, I can't be the person that's lived in the same place for so long or whatever. She's like, well, I've loved it. She's like, why can't I? Like, I I love my face telling the story of the last 15 years. I like this apartment. There's nothing wrong with it. I like it. Why do I have to start somewhere new? And she also embraces, like she listens to one of, one of Big's records. And she, when she walks out of the apartment at the end of the episode, she's wearing a red dress with one of Big's jackets over the top. And she's going, I can embrace oh. the last 15 years. Yeah. Do you know, I did not clock that because I clocked her as wearing, the dress was red, it had flowers on it, which was always a big carry motif, and she was wearing her pearls. Yes, she always she used was. to wear strings evoked, of pearls. Can I just say, and we now know that the uh, the costume designers do not have time to be doing my year vacations, but it did they evoke. Don't. doesn't matter. Thorial and tennis and everything. It's we, we see what we see. It evoked the dress that she wore in Paris. You know when she's walking down the street trying to be yes. Parisian? And she wears yes. a red dress with a black jacket over oh, the top. That's and one of my favorite looks. It absolutely evoked that. It's when the kid knocks, like, punch, she's trying to have a lovely Parisian time and the kid punches on yes. her head and she yes. steps in. Dog she's wearing the pink, pink gloves and mm. she's wearing mm. a red dress and a black jacket over the top. And it's exactly that outfit. And do you know what she was doing then? She was waiting for Big to come and get her. And so we see her walking out the door in the same outfit, but with one of Big's jackets. Mm. And she's. It's, she's evoking that's part of this story of the last 15 years. And the thing is when she's in the surgery and at lunch she's ha- got her hair tied back and I remember there were shots uh, of her from the set and I remember reading various, you know, trashy internet clickbaity articles about, oh, my God, is Sarah Jessica Parker letting her grey hair shine through? Oh, no. And it's like, well, no, it's just she's older. So as you age and you've got blonde hair, you'll get sort of grey through the roots. But she had her hair pulled back very severely in that scene. But when she kind of rediscovers herself and comes down the stairs, she's got her hair fully out, fully carified, you know, the big curls, the pearls, the flowers. And as you said, big jacket, big skirt, high heels. She was possibly the most carry she's looked in the series. Yes, uh, I agree. With, I absolutely With that agree. ensemble. And I, I think, yeah, it was for her, her age is like, no, I've, got my hair and I've got my thing. I'm just me plus 20 years. Okay. So I am now going to just do a little bit of things I've seen that I think evoke old episodes, which I always do in this. And if you've got any, or you think any are uh, wrong or you can (laughs) see something else, please let me know. So when Rock tells Charlotte that they want to get rid of the doll collection uh, because Rock doesn't like it and Lily says it's culturally insensitive because there's all these dolls dressed from all these different countries and they're, they're all made in New York and it's sort of it's a little bit, you know. I had an international doll collection, just so you know. I had one of those. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was – I get, look, they're young girls and your tastes change and you want to establish your own independence and your own style and I get that. But I was like, oh, it's – you know, it was a thing for so many to go, look, this is how people look from this culture. This is how people, I, you know, I don't see it as being, uh, I don't know. I saw it as always being quite a nice thing that it was like, hey, here's how people look from different places that aren't you. But Well, uh, I think that's... it was, it's, it may be quite a Western white lens of how people look and the dolls are made locally in New York. And it's sort of like, here's someone from Sri Lanka. And it's like, it might be a little bit 
white focused. So that's probably why. But those dolls are Madame Alexander dolls. And I discovered, I did not know this myself. Normally, these are things that I just discover myself, but I discovered online that they were the same dolls that Stamford season three hookup oh. Marty <laughs> Mendelssohn had. So if you remember, he went out with a man yes. and the man had dolls all over the bed and would have to take them off. And I think Stafford actually broke one and he kicked him out. It, they it, were also it was, Madame Alexander dolls. Famously, it was Mary, Queen of Scots, and he knocked her off the bed and her head fell off. Could I just add one more thing about mm. the, the dolls? Um, the way Charlotte was sort of carefully placing them, you know, taking them down off the wall and placing them sort of in storage near the end there. <gasps> I think I'm going to say the same rem- thing as you. Reminded you of, let's say it at the same time, the Christmas, Christmas decorations. Yeah. I thought the same thing. Yes. So when she was, you know, converting to Judaism and part of that was having a final Christmas and that sort of sense of like ritual and things are changing, but I'm going to make new memories. So that yes. was maybe a, an illusion there. And she's putting the Christmas decoration. She's, it's not Christmas, but she has one last tree and she's saying yes. this is a blue Christmas decoration. The blue ones are very rare and it was my yes. grandmother's and I, and Harry's saying, you can have a tree. A lot of Jewish people have a tree. And she says, no, it wouldn't be right because she needs to move forward and really embrace Judaism and, again, create new memories. And part of that for her is, no, I don't want to have a Christmas tree anymore. So that's exactly what I thought. I thought, oh, my God, this, oh. we've seen her do this before. So I'm so happy that we're um, sinking. you said that. We're all synced up. We're all synced up. So synced <laughs> up. Um, the lying to Seema's parents about this uh, guy that she – Saying yes, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis, this guy that she's saying she's seeing, reminded me of Hot Child in the City, um, lying to Mrs. Adams about the marijuana. Oh. Uh, it's that kind of pe- <laughs> you know faking it for the parents thing. Yeah, um, I love that episode. There was so a sense much. of that, and Seema gives her like a friendship bracelet, which is significant of power in. Uh, or knowing your own strength in Indian culture mm. at the end of the episode. And we see this friendship bracelet put onto her wrist. And then the next thing we see is her putting her carry necklace on, which we mm. haven't seen in and just like that. Now that for sure is about her finding herself because in Paris, she loses her carry necklace. Mm. And with that, she loses herself because she's with this man who doesn't really see her or know her and isn't really acknowledging her and is using her as a security blanket, but isn't, you know, allowing her to be her mm. self. The moment she finds the carry necklace, which is in the lining of a vintage clutch bag, and she puts mm. it on, she finds herself again and goes off to do her own thing. And she says, this necklace is important. It's not valuable because he's saying, oh, is it insured? She's like, no, no, no. It's I bought it at a market. It's not valuable, but I bought it with my friends. And there's a yeah, picture think- she has. She says there's a picture of us all that day that we we bought that and we mm. were all together. And I feel like this says to me, Seema is going to be her new best friend, her new Samantha, because Seema gives her this jewelry this bracelet and then we see her in the carry necklace and she's Mm. found herself again that's what i think that is about um this is a great easter egg aj meta who plays seema's father we've seen him before in sex in the city we've seen him before do you know where we have seen him before handsome indian man was he the one who offered to 
um, kiss Samantha yes! at the restaurant. Oh, absolutely, he it. was. And the same he, he kissed her and said, "I'll come home with you. You don't That's have to right. be alone." Yeah. So we think that he's just the same actor because we don't think it's implying that Seema's father at one point hit on Samantha. <laughs> We think it's no, just another character have. because it's pretty common for those shows to use actors again. But that's yes. a lovely one. Okay, this is, I'm sure, an evocation. I mean, it 100% is. Miranda is masturbating with a vibrator. Her teenage son comes and knocks on the door. She, surprisingly to me, honestly, doesn't quickly turn the vibrator off and go, oh, and then go back to it. She keeps the vibrator on and she's trying to keep him at bay and he's like, okay, I'm going to go and see my girlfriend. She's like, okay, don't stay too late. You've got math tutor in the morning. But she's still using the vibrator. Do you know what that evokes? Okay, so there's the scene where she was having sex with a guy who liked yes. like being caught. Yes. And then his parents walked in. Oh, no. And they're no, still. So there's a scene where she's having sex with a man who doesn't know she has a baby. And she says, oh, no, it'll all be fine. Oh, yes. It'll all yes. be fine. And Brady starts crying in the middle of the sex. Yes. And what does she shout out? Mommy's coming. Mommy's <laughs> coming, Brady. Mommy's coming. <laughs> that evokes mommy's coming. I'm sorry. Brady has been here before waiting on his mother while she orgasms. That's <laughs> his first time at the rodeo. is evoking that. I love playing this game with you because you've got such an encyclopedic knowledge. Oh, gosh. Uh, I should probably um, watch other TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> just Game of Thrones and Sex in the City. They're very similar. It's very similar. Uh, so many similar themes between Game of Thrones and... <laughs> yeah, so many. So many similar themes. Another, I think, Easter egg is in the... And this is a costume Easter egg. So, listen, they may tell me it's not true. But when Carrie <laughs> is at home in her own kitchen in the new place... She's wearing essentially the naked dress that she wore on her first date with Big where they couldn't keep their hands off each other and they never made it to dinner and they just had sex straight away. And it's the same dress that she wears on the side of the bus. And it was kind of a carry moment again because it was see-through. You could see right through it. It was the same color as her skin. And it actually had like a little mark on it from where she'd been cooking or something like that. That's what I thought. And I was just like, oh, she doesn't really wear these looks out anymore. She's much more mature and sophisticated in what she wears out and less mm. showing a little skin. But at home, she still carries. She's still trying to be Carrie in the carry dress. You know, that's who she really is. And she's trying to make herself at home. And that's why she's wearing that dress. And it doesn't work because the apartment's not right for her. Can I bring something up with that? Mm. You mentioned it just before cooking. Carrie was preparing food. Yes, Can you recall first time we've a time her do that? Her ever prepare food before? She takes out of the storage. She takes a hat, a lamp, and then she says, "We can't just go with these two things." And then she gets gets a frying pan. And I was like, "We've literally never seen her cook." This is a and new then she curry. didn't use the frying pan. She was just making a sandwich or maybe something, fixing something, and she was putting salt on it. But I, I just, I did a double take and thought. When has Carrie ever prepared? We've seen never her eating seen her a lot, food. Never. but oh, never seen once, her prepare food. Once, fondue. Uh, and I think oh, she prepares it for, is for it big. the Russian? And then he says, can we go out now? Or was it big? No, Maybe it's it, big. it was big. Mm. Yeah, that's right. She tries to make it's coffee literally... for the Russian. Russian cooks in her flat, but there's not enough stuff there. And I think yes. there's a mouse in there and stuff. He, kills, just, a, yeah. he kills a mouse with it. Maybe that's the frying pan Easter egg. 
Maybe that's Ooh. the frying pan he used to kill the mouse. The frying pan. Poor mouse. Yeah, he does. Smashes um, it. Nat, anything more from you? I loved her Diwali outfit. Uh, and I'm sure there are loads of people with opinions on on how that fits in and and you know the the use of that traditional clothing in and just like well, that, it was sex written in the city. by an Asian writer this episode, uh, yeah, by a, a South Asian writer. Uh, so I'm going to be very interested to see what the writers room podcast says about it uh, because I've learnt a lot about some of the previous episodes, which I'm going to talk about on another episode with Naomi from Everyday Racism. But what did you think of the? Uh, fashion side of it i really liked it there's there's sort of moments when carrie has worn big skirts and this essentially was a big skirt Mm. um you know a big skirted outfit so one of the times she wore it was when she went on a date with the russian who then took her promptly back inside and um cooked for her and she was wearing a great big white fluffy skirt. Then there was the time in the second movie. We saw, I think we saw that same skirt when she went off to the, when she stayed just one night in her apartment. Yes. That's, that's, I was going to, I think they referred to that. There was also in the second movie where she's in the middle of um, Abu Dhabi in the souks, which for me was the funniest thing about that film is how she's in the souks wearing heels and this giant skirt when she meets Aiden. And I, you know, I've, I've not been to, Abu Dhabi, but I've been to the souks in Morocco, and by goodness, it was not really a place where a giant puffy skirt was uh, practical. Um, But then the other thing was her wedding dress, her Vivian Westwood wedding dress from the first film, and she has that great big um, skirt. And so it was just interesting seeing her silhouette in in the great big skirt again. And I wondered if there was a an allegory to her wedding dress because Diwali is, as they say, a celebration of light over darkness. And I've I've been to a number of Diwali celebrations here in Brisbane uh, over the years, and it's always a very joyous occasion. And it's lovely seeing all the you know traditional wear and, and outfits and things like that. But I wondered if there was something in that for her, you know, looking light over the darkness and having this beautiful um, dress to almost uh, and the fact that she had such an elaborate hairdo reminded me of her hair from the wedding with the the bird <laughs> um although how she manages to do that elaborate multi-braided with roses by herself in her flat i don't know but she uh, may have know. had someone come to do it because sarah just said have. about about sex in the city that she said she always wanted to to look like they could have done their hair themselves unless they were going out to a big event. Mm. And she said, then you would go for a blow dry. You get a hairdresser to do it. And she true, said, true. so So she said, like, if they're on a, if they're at a red carpet thing or a really glamorous event, she's like, it's fine for them to look like a hairdresser's done their hair because you would go and have yes. a hairdresser do your hair. So I think we're meant to think she's had a hairdresser do that. There's yeah, no that's way fair. she's done that on her own. It's um, just beautiful. It's like it's it's in the same way that her Vivian Westwood dress was kind of wearable art. I feel like her sari that she wears and her hair doing this is is art. You know, it's kind of that high art form of the fashion of the show. Um, and I, yeah, I thought it was gorgeous. And I thought that Seema's sari had a touch of Western about it because she's got this lovely mix of fashion styles of she's got these very um she loves this sort of reds and um leopard print and she has this very that would make sense because the whole storyline is really about how she her parents are looking for her to uh uphold traditional 
customs and she's like, mm. well, I'm not really that person. So, you know, That's, I'm trying to give yeah, you a little so bit of what you want but not uh, Yeah, so she had over to she, you. she had a, a beautiful sari on, but I think she had a very more western belt. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, mm. uh, so it was this yeah interesting. So you've got Carrie coming in, um, you know, putting her I guess maybe a sort of a Western spin on on an um, Indian style, uh, whereas Seam is coming in going, well, I'm you know Westernizing and modernizing, you know, my very you know beautiful traditional wear. So yeah, I just I thought it was really interesting. I'm obviously not an expert on the the, the cultural interpretations around these um uh, pieces of, of clothing, but I think in terms of the visuals, they were yeah, it was gorgeous. And I wish they I wish they'd had them on a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have reveled in it a little bit more. Yeah, um, well they were gorgeous. Well, Nat, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I very much look forward to seeing what happens next in Sex and the City, if any of our predictions of things that might happen might come true. Um, Can I make two small predictions? Yes. One, we've got to see Aiden, right? When she was in her storage locker, which, mm. by the way, another outfit I liked, I honestly thought she was going to unpack Aiden's chair. I don't know why, Ooh. but she was opening, like, big boxes, and for some reason I thought she was going to unpack Aiden's chair. Uh, so, anyway, whatever that means I, that's what occurred in my brain. And the other thing was her writing. We haven't seen Carrie write and I miss her monologues. I must admit that's the big difference between Sex and the City and, mm. and Just Like That. I think the podcast is meant to do that, but it's not her podcast, so it doesn't really. No, and she's really only just kind of chiming in with the odd zinger or bit of commentary. It's not her thought. And one of the things that Sarah Jessica Parker was always so good at is is matching how her expressions and her face as Carrie was while we were hearing her internal monologue. So now she's kind of making these faces, but we're not hearing her internal monologue. We're kind of left mm. to guess a lot more. But she wrote Big's eulogy. I think that there'll probably be some sort of significant um, point that she reaches where she's able to kind of write her opinion of the or her story of this time in her life. The one thing we haven't seen Carrie doing is writing, mm. which is such an integral part of her. So I'm interested to see how they bring that in. Totally. Um, anything to plug, Nat? Anything that our listeners should check out? Well, uh, thank you. If you uh, do enjoy pop culture podcasts, I do a podcast called Raven On. It was originally a Game of Thrones podcast, but we now do, having finished Game of Thrones, we do Doctor Who, we do, we've been doing Marvel TV shows. Um, we did a great big uh, recap of the James Bond series in 2020, and we're currently doing Batman movies. And we will be doing, when it comes out this year, House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel series, which I'm so excited about. So yes, you can just look up uh, Raven On uh, and, or follow me on Twitter at GirlClumsy and you'll find it that way. At Girl Clumsy. Check it out. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today, Nat. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminist Watchers and Just Like That with me, Deborah Francis White, and my very special guest, Nat Pahensky. The producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinski, who you can sometimes hear on Natalie's podcast, Raven On. The Guilty Feminist is part of the ACAST Creator Network, and Just Like That is on HBO Max in the United States and Sky Comedy in the UK. Join us next time for episode seven Sex and the Widow. 